This is Amateur Logic, episode 146, for August 15th, 2020. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at mfjenterprises.com. And by ICOM. Get out and be active with the perfect QRP companion, ICOM's new IC705 and its optional multifunction backpack. Good evening and welcome to another action-packed episode of Amateur Logic. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Emil. And I'm Mike. Great to be back with you again. We, uh, we've we got a fun show lined up tonight and we've got a special announcement coming up a little later. I know no one will guess, so we won't talk about the, uh, what is it, 800-pound gorilla in the room? <laughs> Actually, it's uh, it's not even eight pounds. <laughs> Mike, you have to point down. I yeah. can't. <laughs> no, we will just just briefly mention that we're coming up on fifteen years here at Amateur Logic. In October, we'll be celebrating fifteen years, and you know we kind of like to do a contest each year um, in October. And we've got a contest coming up just for you folks. I'm not going to tell you what we're giving away yet. I'm sure no, no one. It's going to be huge. Well, not huge. Well, no, not huge. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be back to talk about that in a minute. But right now, over in the chat room, they're all talking about us. And, and well, actually, they're talking, talking about nostalgia. Yeah, Betamax. We mentioned uh, dubbing VHS tapes right before the show tonight, and got a whole thread started up over there. It's kind of caught my interest. Now, y'all carry on w- without me for a little bit, but uh, wow. yeah, it's pretty interesting. Laser disc, Betamax, RCA video disc. It just kind of proves the point about what we normally say. If you're watching the live stream and you're not in the chat room at amateurlogic.tv forward slash chat, you're missing half the fun. And the question is... Which half? Which half? Man, that's a hard one. Yep. Pretty hard to tell. I don't think it's been answered yet. Well, Different for everybody. What has everyone been up to this past month? Wow, it's it has been hot here in Mississippi. I'll say that. Yeah, it's been hot over here in my part of Mississippi too. Since I'm just right up the road from you. Yep. Uh, yeah, been uh, piddling around with some projects around the house. I actually did a project uh, for my segment this month, so kind of looking forward to showing that and see what you guys think about it. 
I've got another one on the hook I'm going to be doing here pretty soon. Cool. Yeah, we've, we've done a few projects here as well. Uh, none that I have video for tonight. A lot of it's been out at transmitter sites, and I've got a lot more. I've got to do at some transmitters next week if the weather will cooperate. Just down the river there, though, a little bit. Emil, it has not been hot in Louisiana, has it? No, no, not <laughs> hot, not hot at all. It's hot and humid. It's crazy hot and humid, and been for us, it's been raining and scattered thunderstorms every day this week. And uh, uh, there's been a little bit of uh, you know all that time inside uh, has caused some pie sprawl. So I took out my uh, genuine engineering stick from the VE3MIC and, and engineered me some uh, monitoring solutions that you'll see a little bit later for my pie sprawl issue. Okay. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Mike, uh, I, I know no humidity in Canada. Well, I guess not. What have you been oh, up to? It's, it's, it's been one of the, the most humid summers I think we've had, in, at, least in I can re- at least for what I can remember. And uh, I couldn't help notice in the title sequence said hot august night and i thought yeah it is a hot august night even up here um it's been in the 80s um it'll dip down to the i guess high 60s at night but it's back up into the into the 80s and we've had some that you know were mid 90s and yeah humidity to that it's uh i don't know probably 98 humidex uh when you factor that factor that in Let's get on into the show, because we've got a good bit to cover tonight. First up, email. I know you don't have an email, but <laughs> you do have something for us tonight. What is that? I have a Facebook post from the Facebook forum, that Amateur Logic TV, from uh, one of maybe all of our seniors, um, Mike Golden, in uh, the Facebook forum, wrote to us, said he's been a amateur since he was 15 in 1958, and he knows a thing or two, and has seen a thing or two. <laughs> after holding uh, a thing a, or two? Yeah. After holding a general class license for most of these years, I recently upgraded to extra class. Now, while I'm still young enough to learn something about digital voice, I have a brand new toy. He, he bought a Shark RF Open Spot 3. He said, I chose that particular hotspot mainly for its capability to convert between the digital modes, between Fusions, DMR, D-Star. And um, he'll be talking through it on his uh, HT. So uh, as he says, as much as he searched, he can't find information locating really signals out there or, or where uh, to go. Um, and I figured I would try to help him out as best I can here. Um, in the open spots, as we all know, some of these hotspots we use have uh, proprietary interfaces. Uh, open spot has its own OS kind of thing, and it's not like a Pi Star load or it. It is, but it's got its own uh, nuances, just like they all do. So, uh, in I went and tracked down the open spots user manual and, and found exactly where they tell you on each radio how to set it up for that mode. Um, and then there's also the instructions on how to cross to the other side. And one of his issues was really saying, how do I find where this stuff is? So there, there you see the, um, the X button. So each mode um, 
has its own location, like D-Star Info, uh, for instance, on the Internet. will tell you where the reflectors are, what they are, what they're for, and you can browse them just like you're turning that VFO, right? <laughs> Changing reflectors. And so between his open spots, uh, the Sharks uh, instructions and these sites, uh, you can really get a sense of where to go. There's the, uh, the the YSF reflector lists from Pi Star. There's also another DMR one here um, that I didn't show, but there's one for the Brandmeister uh, set up in DMR. So there you go. Um, hopefully you can find your way around and browse because there's a lot of stuff out there. Some of them are pretty active. You just got to know how to get there with your particular hotspot, right? I just got one little thing to add to that. I had the same same issue when I first got involved with some of the digital modes. And yeah, he's right. There's not a lot of uh, information. At least it's not in one place. But I did find that by following along with the last heard lists on the various sites, those will show you the most active talk groups. And I, I just basically uh, made note of the active talk groups and uh, added them as I as I wanted to on my uh, on my open spot. I have it. I have the original open spot. I'm sure it's similar. And the nice thing about the open spot, it can be uh, kind of daunting in terms of the, you know, the setup. But uh, at least it allows you to create profiles. So I have a separate profile for VSTAR, separate profile for uh, DMR on Brandmeister, another one for DMR on TJIF. And then when I want to switch over, all I have to do is, is pull down the drop-down list and select the appropriate profile. And away I go. I don't have to... You know, worry about changing individual settings each time, but I'm sure the Open Spot Three is is very similar. Tommy, oh. I've been experimenting with the Dremel tool again. Not dentistry. Oh this man, time. I, yeah. I used my Dremel tool more last month than I did the whole time I've owned it. I've got a different type project for you this month. I did a little bit of woodworking. Uh, a lot of people have these uh, lit signs at their stations and their and their shacks and I didn't have one. I wanted to get one and it's actually one of the things I was planning on doing at Dayton this year, but since Dayton was canceled, I decided to try my hand at making my own. Uh, let's take a look at what I did. I went to Lowe's and I got a piece of uh, Lexon plastic, like plexiglass, and I decided to etch my call sign in it. I had to make a template, so I used the font that we use for our Amateur Logic logo. I thought that would be good. I took Paint, the free program that comes with Windows 10. I typed in my call sign using that font. I had to change the rulers over to use inches for measurements and know what size I needed my logo to be. I just resized it to match. Then selected the text, flipped it horizontal, and then printed it out. That way, when I use it as a stencil, it'll go to the back of the plexiglass, and it, when I turn it around, it'll read properly. We had a little piece of oak scrap that I had from a different project. I had to use my table saw and cut this piece of wood down. Now, you, you don't have to have a table saw to do this. You can use a hand saw and then sand it down. Uh, you don't really need the power tools that I had to do the same job. So if you're creative and you've got a little cheap hand miter saw or something like that, you can do the same thing. So it took me a little while to do that. I sanded it down really good on the corners so it didn't have a square look. and sanded the blade uh, marks out of the wood. 
I like the natural look of the oak, so I just put a tongue oil finish on it. And that's some tongue oil I've had sitting around here, but you can get it at Lowe's as well. And just put a couple of coats on there, buff it in between each coat, and it's good to go. I had to cut my plexiglass out to fit my sign base, keeping in mind the size of the lettering I made on my template so it'll all fit nice and neat with the right amount around the edges and everything. I found a little knife at Lowe's that you can cut plexiglass with. Be sure to use a good straight edge and make sure everything's square. But if you score it several times, you can get it deep enough that you can pop it and you don't have to worry about using a saw and taking a chance on scratching your plexiglass up. I taped the stencil that we made or the template that we made to the plexiglass but so that after I take the X-Acto knife and cut it out, I can use that as my stencil for my etching and the lettering will be in the right orientation. Next is the hard part. I use my Dremel tool and a variety of grinding bits to etch the back of the glass using a lot of care not to tear up that plastic or the stencil so that your lines are straight. I did get a little small metal ruler and use it as a guide to make sure that my straight edges were still straight when I was doing it. It's very important to get it as even as possible or it'll show up in the light. Mine's not perfect, and uh, I'd like a better method to do this and might redo my plexiglass, but it works and it looks pretty good, but I think it could still be just a little bit better. I did sand the ends of the plexiglass because after I scored them and popped them, there were some sharp edges on there, so I just rubbed the edges on a piece of sandpaper a little bit to knock those down. To make the channel in the bottom of the base, I use these Dremel bits. I picked these up at Lowe's as well for like 10 bucks for the two, and it made it pretty easy. Uh, I did make one mistake. I wish I would have cut it with a little bit of an angle so it would lean slightly back. Um, it's Instead of being exactly uh, 90 degrees, I drilled some holes for the LEDs. And what I did was I, I kind of eyeballed it. I put the sign in. And I looked down below, drilled the holes out that match kind of the center of the letters. Since this is the Amateur Logic font that we use for our logo. So I drilled the holes in the center for the LED bulbs. Now I could have got LED strips and used it, but power, every one of them I found was 12 volt power source. And I didn't want to have to deal with that. So I've got just plain old LEDs. 2.1 volts and 20 milliamps is the draw on them. Um, so anyway, I found those and uh, I drilled the holes out for them to fit. So they should slip right down into the hole that I drilled out. Like so. And I'm going to run a wire here for the negative, one for the positive, And then I'm going to put a little dab of hot glue to hold the LEDs in. Now for my power source, I told you I was going to use 5 volts. So I got this old iPhone cord. I cut the end off, put a little piece of heat shrink on it, and I used my voltmeter with this plugged into the USB battery to test and see where I got my 5 volts and my negative. So those are the only two wires that I left exposed. And I, then I found my resistor. I did the calculation right here on the screen and I got come up with a 150 ohm resistor. Now originally I was going to put one large resistor and then just tie them all together with with one power rail, one negative rail, 
because of the current draw, I was going to probably need a half watt resistor. So it was easier just to have do these. I already have them. So I'm going to solder these onto the anode of the LED. And then I'll tie the negative in. This is where I was just breadboarding it just to check it and make sure everything worked okay. So now I've got my power. I drilled a hole into the side to run my power line through and to fish them out. And I'll take a little hot glue when I'm done and just keep everything in, in place. So let's go ahead and put it together. What I'm going to do is cut two pieces of this copper wire I've got just to lay across here to, to hook my power on. First thing I'm going to do is solder these resistors onto my LED. That's all five. So let's see how we can make those fit. I'm going to put the power first. I'll put the ground on the high side over here, which would be basically the front. So I'll do like so. It's probably not going to be the prettiest job. Let's go ahead and cut the wire for one of them at least. And this is pretty heavy wire. So the ground one is the one I've got the clear shielding on, or the negative. So that's the one that I will solder first to here. Let's cut one more for the other side. I know the hot glue is really ugly and I don't like it, but that's kind of how it is. Okay, it's all working. Well, it came out pretty good. I hope you found the segment interesting and maybe you try it yourself. It was pretty cheap. I think all in all, I've paid about 
maybe $6 or so for the piece of plexiglass and the piece of wood I already had. And matter of fact, the, four, the five LEDs I already had. Um, if I had to do it again, what would I do? I would probably space these out evenly and then I would probably build this little, uh, measure this out and build this little wiring harness here where I can, and put flexible wire on it where I can just drop them in the holes. Hope it's interesting to you and we'll see you next time. 73. A whole yeah, lot of dremeling going on. Yeah, you're not good. And a whole lot of hot gluing. I didn't intend on putting that much hot glue on it. And if, like I said, if I was going to do it a little, do it different, I would have spaced the holes out evenly. I, I thought it was, I was doing it the right way, and I may go revisit it and remake it later. Uh, it, it I want a better way to to etch the back of the plexiglass instead of using that Dremel. That was pretty tough doing that, but it, it worked. Yeah, it looked I was really, really good. Really curious to see you how you're going to do that. Um, we were we were talking a little bit off camera, and I've got this little world clock here with a picture of the flat picture of the world. And uh, I thought of replacing it with my call sign because when you press down on the base, or you can there's a switch on the side, you can turn it on so it's illuminated full time, and it's got uh, some kind of multicolor LEDs. Mine are 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 lit from the corners, so um, but but yours really illuminates the outside perimeter of that plexiglass, which is really cool. I don't think this one does that. Yeah, I, li I, I looked for some thicker plexiglass, but it's kind of hard to find. Um, it's really hard to find. Yeah, I, I could only find those small handy panels at uh, you know the big box stores, like you did. Uh huh. Yeah, that's all I could come up with. But it was it was a fun project. And I, I like it. Like I said, I could do things a few, little bit better on it next time if I were going to make another one. But uh, it, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah. This one was made by Jim's Engraving, and he's no longer yeah. in business. But that is a mirror. That's uh -huh. about a quarter inch thick there. And this is the back side of it. Uh, the first ones he did, I think he had a laser engraver that he used. He did it on the shiny side. And you could read it, and they work fine. But I th then he started doing it on the back because it just pops out better like that. But, yeah, uh, I could imagine if I was trying to do that with a Dremel tool, man, mine would have just a big line all the way through it or something <laughs> where it got yeah, away from it. Yeah, and see, I, I wanted to use a little sandblaster. You can get a little a little project sandblaster, huh. and I think that would have made a nice even-looking uh, etching on the back. But then my air compressor is not really big enough to support it, and I wouldn't uh -huh. have got to use the Cheap Ham Certified logo, which was very important to to yeah. stay within the guidelines of that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Tommy. I, I need to <laughs> I, uh, my ICOM writing pad here to track some of these costs here. You know, for a minute there, I thought Emil was going to say we owed him for, for using the cost compliancy uh, certification. I thought he was charging a fee for that. <laughs> no, there's no cost for that. No, no, no. That's free, too. Wow. Okay. Well, speaking of projects, we've got one right here. Comes from our friend who I think I saw him in the... Yeah, there he is. He's in the chat room tonight. 
OH7T to May. Now, you might not know what that is at first, but he's uh, saying thanks for last night's ALTV. Just looking a bit postponed. I like to share uh, with you my survival kit, which travels with me in the car. And this is the world premiere. But inside of it, you pull the cover off, and that's where it starts getting interesting in there. He's got uh, things that a fellow might need when he's traveling. I see a set of sockets in there. There is some screwdriver bits as well, a flashlight, uh, a tripod. I guess that's the whole flashlight. I'm not sure. I know Tommy would carry a tripod with him everywhere he goes. I see a meter in there, a folding ruler, crescent wrench, uh, screwdrivers. So, yeah, a lot of good items and a soldering iron. He's in the uh, chat room. He says it's an anti-static cover. Okay. Oh, that's what the snap connector is for, I bet. He's prepared there if an emergency comes up. And he needs to work on something. He's got it covered. That's, and yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll agree with that, Tomei. You need to carry some tools with you. It's always a good idea. I carry some in in both my vehicles because usually when I go somewhere, somebody's expecting me to fix something. <laughs> so if you find yourself in a similar situation, you might want to follow Tomei's lead there and uh, put yourself together a kit. That's... That's pretty nice. That's pretty nice. It looks small enough to, to slide under your front seat of your car. Well, exactly, and, uh, yeah. He's, he's managed to pack a lot of stuff in that little little uh, container. Maybe we ought to get a message from MFJ and then come right Let's back. Let's do that. The MFJ 1928EX is a heavy-duty portable antenna stand that extends to 6 feet and collapses to only 38 inches for easy transportation. This black stainless steel stand will hold up to 66 pounds of antenna steady and comes with a fiberglass telescoping pole and military-grade quick clamps for quick setup. The MFJ 2286 Big Stick is a portable monopole featuring MFJ's rugged stainless steel collapsible whip paired with an adjustable high-Q air-wound coil. Efficiency matters, so it's not surprising this winning combination stands head and shoulders above shorter backpack antennas. The antenna is constructed of all aluminum and stainless steel components for years of great performance, and it's rated at 1 kilowatt. While it extends to a full 17 feet, the 2-pound monopole collapses to just 28 inches in seconds. Adjusting the length of the antenna and the high-Q coil makes tuning a breeze anywhere from 7 to 55 megahertz. For the lower bands, a counterpoise wire assembly is included. Big Stick is for the ham radio operator on the move and on the go and hungry for the next great QSO anywhere, anytime. The MFJ 2289 Big Ears use the same high Q coil and two of the rugged collapsible monopoles. Efficiency is the key to launching a big signal in remote areas and Big Ear does it so well you might forget you left home. The secret is MFJ's incredibly strong and weather-resistant stainless steel telescopic whips stretching to a whopping 34-foot span, twice the length of other portable antennas. The antenna includes a robust 45-degree center mounting block with a built-in ballon, and it's good for up to 1 kilowatt. There's no counterforce required for full 7 to 55 megahertz operation. 
If you need a quick setup, rugged, high-performance portable HF antenna, you can't beat the MFJ Big Stick or Big Ear. Available at MFJEnterprises.com or wherever amateur radio products are sold. And that is a nice antenna setup. You have that, don't you, Tommy? Oh, yeah, I do. I love mine. Yeah, and, you know, I'm feeling kind of generous. Well, I'll talk with you a little bit later and see how how somebody might get one of those that meets the cost-compliant guidelines. Okay. That sounds good. Email's keeping notes there, so... I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out about that myself. I'm sure you are. Well, you've got uh, a video here from our friend. I see he's in the chat room over there. Tell us about that, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, where is his call sign? I don't want to mess it up. Terry, 2E0IPK over in London, watched the show last month and saw the... The segment we had when we did with Ray, when we were in the park with Ray, where we showed all the different antennas, and uh, he sent in a little video follow-up for the the buddy pole one that I showed. So it's pretty interesting. Let's take a look at that. Hello, I'm Terry, 2E0IPK. You may remember me for this. That was a great, great idea, and uh, I still use that. I still use it, and uh, a lot of clubs are after the schematics for that, and I, I can't think why. It's a bit of string, but don't worry about it. Anyway, on to today. I have with me the buddy stick that came up in Amateur Logic 145 that Tommy was using. Now, this is a really great antenna, and this is ideal for the 705. Absolutely perfect for the 705. You've got SOTA and you've got POTA. I'm going to show you the POTA way of doing it, really, because... What I'm going to show you, you cannot do on SOTA at all. Not unless you there's a car park nearby, but uh, other than that, you can't use it on the summits. So we'll get to that right now. So let's take a look at the kit. Okay, so here's the kit we're using. We get two of these mast sections, 3 8 inch at the bottom there, with the sockets at the top. We've got the whip section and because I have got the deluxe package you actually get two of the whip sections so that's really good to have. Then you have the coil and the coil is absolutely brilliant. This is a great idea. Uh, I've actually put the tabs in at 40, 20, and 10 meters so I keep them there and if I use it wherever I use it I could use them and I haven't I haven't got to change them around again so that's really good you get a couple of spare I don't know these are just covers you don't get the actual uh, clamp with it so I don't know why but you just get two extra colors if you if you like yellow you could put yellow on okay so now we've got a tripod adapter and you have the 3 8 inch socket at the top there along with the screw there for the counterpoise and an SO239 at the bottom don't worry about that bit that's just my tripod uh, mount but you do get this knob at the top that actually connects it that comes with a kit as well also you get the counterpoise uh, 
which is quite a long counterpoise. I've actually marked that off in various areas for different lengths, so I haven't got to keep measuring the thing. Uh, but you also get, with the deluxe package, a clamp. Now this clamp is excellent, so if you're working somewhere and you've got a picnic table nearby, you can clamp the antenna just straight on that. That's a great idea. However, both the clamp and the tripod adapter are redundant today because I'm going to show you another way. Okay, so today we're going to be using the Meg mount for the car. Now this had an SO239 at the bottom originally which I didn't really think, well, there's no way I can use that. So I ended up going on eBay and doing a WWED. What would Emil do? But I actually did a WWTD. What would Terry do? Because that was £4, and as I say, that is excellent. So the actual uh, buddy stick will now fit into that on top of the car. So let's see it in action. Okay, so here it is on the car, all set up, up to the coil there, which I've already put the uh, lead in for 20 metres. Then it goes up further. Now the thing with this antenna is, if your out parks on the air, and it gets a bit cold in the evening, or if you actually get a bouncy castle put up near you where they've actually got a lot of noise coming along or it starts to look as though it's going to rain you can just get right in the car with your 705 and carry on working that's the beauty of this and if you connect an, another adapter to coax to the other end of this and actually put a table along by your car you can work from there easy and with this you don't need any counterpoise because the ground plane is in the car and it's got to get through the dust at the minute on this one but uh, <laughs> we've had four contacts with it so it works quite well so I'm well pleased with this this is absolutely brilliant great idea and uh, Pete Waters of Waters and Stanton which is a, a shop over here he did a video and told me about this and uh, I think this is an absolute cracking way of doing it absolutely brilliant where I live, I've only got noise, lots of noise all around, so uh, I can always come out and use this with a table next to me and operate in the car if I want. <laughs> so no problem at all. No counterpoise. And this, uh, this antenna goes from 40, and I think it goes right up to 2 metres. So, yeah, very well worth uh, getting one of these. Buddy stick. Well, I've had four contacts with this on top of the car and um, it's been absolutely brilliant. Yes, I am using the Yaser FT450. Uh, the IC705 isn't available in the UK as we speak, or as I speak, but uh, this is a great uh, antenna for working anywhere with the car. Uh, put it on the car, you don't need, as I said, you don't need the, uh, the counterpoise, you've got the ground plane. And, um, yeah, I mean, it will tune in, literally, 20, all the way to 2 metres. It will not tune 40, it will at the top of the band there, but uh, as you come down, it will not tune it. Uh, so you would need a triple mount for that. But uh, this is absolutely brilliant. I love this antenna, really do. Well, as you can see, 
well, you, you know it works anyway, because I'm telling you it works, but uh, it's absolutely brilliant idea. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I use the uh, clamp, and I also use the tripod. This does give me a, a third way, which is absolutely brilliant. But uh, I'm really, really happy. This will actually handle 100 watts, so you haven't got to worry about that. 100 watts is no problem. Anyway, I hope this has been of help to you. Uh, if it has, then absolutely brilliant. Uh, I will be adding little bits to my website, which is ipklondon.uk. Uh, uh, if anybody wants to visit, more than welcome. And uh, I hope to uh, hear from maybe some of you soon. If you have any have any problems, or you you know, or you try it, and let me know how you get on with it. Because uh, I, as I say, I love it myself. So anyway, uh, 2E0 IPK Terry, I'm going clear and uh, 73 to all. I'm gone. Good work, Terry. Uh, that was excellent. Well, that was cool, Terry. Thanks for sending the video. That's a, looks like a really versatile antenna, and those are some interesting uh, mounts he had. Right? We didn't have the one with the vise on it, and then uh, the deal with using the magnet mount and just putting it on the top of your vehicle, that's a pretty good idea, too. If I think I'd probably get one of those uh, three-way magnets like you've got. I uh, think you got it from MFJ in the triangle formation, mm -hmm. so it's good and strong. But still, I don't think I'd drive down the road with it, but it'd be good at the park or whatever if you were nearby. Mike, I understand you have an email. And Yes, uh, <laughs> I do. I have an email from uh, Amanda, KE0SDJ. She is the president of, uh, of the Southeast Missouri Amateur Radio Association, and they're having a ham fest to celebrate their 20th year anniversary. Um, and it's on September 12th, and from what I understand, um, it's going to be more of a, a picnic table style ham fest. I've never been to one, but I understand uh, Tommy's been to one before. Actually, in Missouri as well. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, congratulations on their uh, 20th year anniversary, and uh, it's really good to see, uh, you know, some ham fests that are actually happening uh, again uh, after such a long time without one. No kidding. Well, thanks, Amanda, for that. When we first got that message from her, the location was missing, and Mike and I were scratching our heads wondering where exactly in Missouri the picnic table was. <laughs> but, but now we know. Yeah, and I hope, I, I'm pretty sure there's more than one, too. So, Mike, what if you were looking for a good, um, cheap place to hang an antenna for a weekend? Where where might be a good place to do that? Well, <laughs> um, that would be the International Lighthouse Lightship Weekend, which is coming up on the 22nd of August. And it's running from uh, 1 UTC to 2400 UTC. Um, so, which would be the 23rd of August. So it's a two-day event. And I keep wanting to call it a contest, but it's not really a contest. It's it's intended to, to be just a relaxing, fun thing to do without the normal uh, pressures of, uh, you know, working as many contacts as possible. So it's pretty low-key. I've actually taken... Uh, I've participated in, in one event up here, and, and we had a... Um, it actually wasn't... Uh, you know, a true lighthouse. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was a range lighthouse of some kind, uh, which also uh, was allowed to be activated. And that's one thing. There's the uh, the link down on that page there, the uh, ILLW.net site. 
it will tell you what you need to do. Um, I believe you need to activate a particular lighthouse that you intend to work. So best to go to the site and find out all the details from there. But that's coming up on the twenty sixth of or sorry, the twenty second of August. Hmm. And it's a fun it's a fun little thing to do. Um, yeah, I bet they don't activate the lighthouse down on the coast here, Tommy. Uh, probably not. Yeah. Is that, does that thing even still work? Well, I don't know. Uh, it went, it's been through several hurricanes, and it's still there, so maybe it does. Yeah, yeah and the other thing to, to note, too, is you don't have to operate within the lighthouse. I think you have to be within 200 feet of, or you have to set up your site or your antennas oh. within 200 feet of the lighthouse. So you don't have to be, you don't even have to get entry to lighthouse to uh, to be able to participate you just have to notify um, the people running uh, the event that you want to activate this particular lighthouse. And um, um, there's some sort of uh, uh, process that you do um, to indicate that it's one of the valid uh, sites. And you just go out there and operate and make as, uh, as, as, as many or a few contacts as you want. We're going to be back in just a moment and find out what Mike has been up to or not. I think he's been up to something, though. You just kind of can tell by looking at him. Well, I don't even need to set it up because I kind of talk about it in the video, and we'll have a we'll have a chat about it afterwards. All right. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Get out and be active with ICOM's new IC705 and its optional multifunction backpack. The IC705 is your perfect QRP companion as you have base station features and functionality at the tips of your fingers, and a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at 1 kilo, or just over 2 pounds. With RF direct sampling for most of the HF band and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. 5 watt battery operation with BP 272 or 10 watts with a 13.8 volt DC supply. Modes include single sideband, CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functions, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, and live band scope with waterfall, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger, micro SD card for data storage, it comes standard with the HM243 speaker microphone, and it supports QRP and QRP P operations. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the LC192 optional backpack with a special compartment for your IC705 and room for accessories for soda activations or just a day in the park. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information about this and all the great ICOM radios. Here's here's really what I wanted to show folks, and uh, no more excuses for not getting into the, into the Arduino. On my previous segment on the Grove Beginner Kit for Arduino, we looked at what comes with the kit, and so we're now going to power it up and have a look at the demo sketch that comes preloaded. Okay, let's power it up. When you power up the kit, note that a menu appears on the .96 inch OLED screen. If you hold the momentary push button switch down, the speaker beeps, the LED flashes, and you can scroll through the various menus and select between the different sensor module demos. 
Let's have a quick look at the temperature humidity sensor demo. The OLED display actually is pretty clear, although my video makes it appear otherwise. You'll notice that I don't have any of the modules connected via the grow connectors, and they're connected through the circuit board. As I mentioned previously, you can snap out these modules, but once you do, there's no going back, and you'll have to use those grow ribbon cables to connect to your sensor modules from that point on. Here's the light meter, and note the change in the value when I cover up the light sensor with my finger. Here's the sound level meter, and when I tap on the microphone, you can see the value change on the display. Back to the temperature and humidity sensor demo. When I cover up the sensor, note the humidity reading changes when I place my finger over the sensor. There's a slight temperature change as well. This is the air pressure sensor measuring atmospheric pressure in Pascal's. No change tapping it with my finger though. Lastly, the accelerometer. As you can see, I had a hard time demonstrating this as the sensor is mounted 90 degrees off from the OLED display as far as the program demo is concerned, but tilting the sensor is supposed to move the little white ball indicating the tilt direction. That's all for the demo sketch, but I wanted to show you how you set up the Arduino Integrated Development Environment, or IDE as it's commonly referred to. The IDE is basically an editor with library files management. You'll need an IDE app to write sketches and upload, or is that download? Well, you'll see what I mean <laughs> shortly, but let's get the IDE software and install it. Open a web browser and go to https colon slash slash arduino.cc. Now click on the software tab and select downloads. There is a web editor, but I'm going to, to download and install the app version. Choose the appropriate link for your operating system. like to make a donation, click the Contribute and Download button, or just download, uh, which is probably what most of us hams would do. The download may take some time, so grab a coffee or a nap.
Once the download has completed, click on the Arduino.exe file to start the install. Is complete. You're ready to connect the USB cable from the beginner kit to your computer. Go ahead and launch the Arduino IDE. Remember that the Cdino Lotus board in the beginner kit is compatible with the Arduino Uno, so just check to see that the IDE is set to the correct board type as shown. Well, that's all for now. Have fun and don't forget, I put together a small guidebook which can be found in the AmateurLogicTV.wiki. Nice, Mike. You know, when when you showed us that thing last time from the, uh, I believe it was an overhead camera there. Yes. It. I thought it was cardboard, and now I see it's actually PC boards. <laughs> well, it's both. It's it's a PC board in a cardboard box. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tommy, you've um, you've been doing a little playing with that IC ninety seven hundred recently, and. Stumbled across yeah. something pretty neat, didn't you? I, I did. Uh, I actually did a video that's over on the ICOM America YouTube page. There was a post on there asking if you could use a hotspot to send and receive pictures like that, and you can. And, well, there was a response to that from Kent Hufford that I was going to read that I thought was pretty interesting. I wasn't aware of it. It says on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time, there's a D-Star picture net on Reflector 72D, and 55D is the backup. The RSMS1A Android app that you can get in the Google Play Store works with the ID31 and 51A Plus radios, or the 51A Plus 2. The ID4100, the 5100, and 7100 need the OPC 2350 LU data cable. Um, anyway, the... Uh, you can use those to send pictures back and forth. It says the 9700 users are welcome to join as well. They, they can exchange pictures, text messages, and positional information. Well, they have a net. And I came in in the middle of it. As you can see, it was receiving a picture from somebody. But uh, it's kind of interesting. They, they'll just set it up, and they'll send a picture, and then everybody gives a signal report if they received it, if they're missing blocks. You can see there was one missing block down there at the bottom left on this one. But it was kind of interesting. If you're a D-Star user, you ought to check it out. Um, and you can find some more information over on, like like I said, on the ICOM America YouTube page uh, where my video is. You can see the post down below about it. This time I needed something to take care of Pi Sprawl, which is now that I'm up to six with the latest Pi 4 edition of these Pies doing dedicated jobs around the house. Um, I needed something so that I could monitor the Pies, uh, tell me when they need to be patched, and see what kind of health they're doing hardware-wise, make sure they're still working. And so that's what I found out here. Tommy, Mike, Amateur Logic TV viewers. Finally got the uh, Raspberry Pi 4. It's the 4 meg edition from Canakit, the fan, and the heat sinks. And I uh, put it to work. 
in the uh, cheap old man monitoring system. So you might be asking yourself, what does this have to do with radio and what is it for? Well, what am I going to use it for? And that answer is for use with my Shack Pi monitor project that I uh, previewed on Facebook a bit ago where I have a Pi dedicated to monitoring a whole bunch of uh, statistics and other sites external to the KE5QKR Shack but to be used in the Shack which basically cycles through several web pages and other informations that are out there looking for um, weather information, hurricane center information, all sorts of things including the monitoring of my own pies via this RPI monitoring system. There's several pies all throughout my shacking areas performing certain functions for me. And one of the pies here in the shack taking a look at some things for me. And of course one of my original systems, the Pi, that is one of my web servers, providing most of the uh, information from my systems. So I needed a good way to monitor my Raspberry Pis and the services that they have running. And I think I found one in this software here. I was browsing the internet and came across a, pro a program called RPI Monitor, which has its own GitHub repository. And the uh, software itself is uh, pretty simple to set up with very good documentation, as well as uh, just getting you right into it as soon as you uh, do install it. Uh, like I said, documentation is written very well. There's an entire um, website just dedicated to that with examples, its features, how to configure it. Uh, it is good if you do have some Linux uh, experience as far as setting up jobs and uh, some scripts or editing text files. In my case, I was using the Nano. And they tell you exactly where to do that. And they have a great getting started section and take you into some brief uh, discussions about how to um, go ahead and install it and, and, and get it going. And with that, it's pretty straightforward to do so. Um, the installation from their repository uh, is very straightforward. It's uh, simply a matter of adding one of their um, repositories as well as getting it from uh, getting it from there and then literally once you've done that and installs you're browsing to your uh, address the Pi's address on your network on port 8888 which is the defaults so with that said I'll go ahead and show you what I've done already in a brief period maybe total of an hour of setup here and that's including me editing some files and making some custom things that I wanted to see. Uh, so it, so this is running on one of my Pis on my internal network, the uh, COMPI4, 
which is what I showed you earlier. Um, shows you the version, the processors, distribution that's running. Um, it's running Buster because it's a brand new Pi 4, 4 gig. The kernel, the firmware, and and you can see here zero upgradables. When I first installed it, it told me basically I had 110 things. So it checks to see if there are any updates for your Pi on on a uh, schedule. So that's one of the things that's built in by default, which I thought was nice. The server's up time uh, along with its time. And the CPU load, which you can see this thing's been running for quite a bit and it's there's hardly any load happening on the actual Pi 4 and it, it'll show you the top three now that's one of the um, pro, uh, customizations I did he gives you a uh, examples of how to customize add-ons and other things and this is one of them how to add this uh, top three processes that are running and you can see in my case it's the actual desktop in the VNC server which is I am connected to um, the Pi via uh, VNC which makes uh, sense that's why that's what's taking most of the uh, process time rather than the actual software which I thought was good so it looks like be efficiently written code the, the temperatures of the uh, CPU the memory utilization swap file utilization the SD uh, card capacities I uh, also did a customization on mine because I don't have it plugged in to a wired interface and that's what it defaulted to so I plugged it into I made it show the um, Wi-Fi WLAN 0 interface and its traffic and some services here I need to go and configure the storage I think I just added that service and didn't configure it but some services here like for instance it's monitoring to see if SSH is running well I know I didn't turn on SSH so I'm, I'm glad it's not running in fact this will show me if it is so it's kind of a monitor for things. You, you can configure whatever you want it to look at. Uh, I do have it looking at the RPI monitor service on port 8888 itself. And of course, there's an Nginx server running, I guess, embedded with this, and it's not listening on port 80. That's what this is say, telling me. So um, not only does it do this real-time dashboard here, but it also will collect some statistics over time and allow you to go back and look um, at some of these options and some of the data it's collected over time. It's only been running for a bit for me, so it's not much data there, but it's doing it. Send, receive, um, all sorts of things. Again, totally configurable with add-ons that you can customize. They even give you the examples to uh, use and figure out on your own, like the uptime. Um, so you can create your own even. Um, good stuff. You can set uh, your own options. In, case, in my case here, the, uh, the main options are on this page to have it reload or auto refresh this page. And I use my other Pi for that uh, to monitor this one uh, you can also monitor other pies or I think what the way they call it in their software is through friends or um, you can basically point it to other pies running this and it'll kind of queue them up on this uh, dashboard for which you can have if I'm not mistaken multiple 
um, status pages as well. So lots of things in here, and this is built in. It just took very little time to get it working, and I wanted to see how my Raspberry Pi was doing things, and uh, this was the way I got it going. So great software um, and documentation from, well, I hope I don't bur uh, butcher this, Xavier Berger um, on uh, GitHub. So take a look at it. It's uh, RPI Monitor. Good stuff. There are several configuration files to deal with when, on, when you're using RPI Monitor. Um, one of them, the main one is the data.conf um, to configure what it's displaying, what it's capturing, etc. And the other is the templates that are used for each uh, module, if you will, or things that you um, want to capture information about. And he gives excellent examples in here all you got to do really is edit the ones that he already has in the templates uh, directory and go from there set it up how you want to and customize it for what you need so it's a very good system that's distributed in somewhat the normal method of uh, good Unix Linux written applications um, all the files are in the places you would expect them to be in for a well-written app. You know, we've got 15th anniversary coming up in October. And it seems like it's only a year ago we were celebrating the 14th. Yeah, no, it seems like that, don't it? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and I... I think we gave away a radio on that episode. Yeah, maybe we ought to do the same thing this time. Well, I think so. You know, and last time the radio was back-ordered and they were out of stock while we were kind of promoting up to the contest coming on, so we had a cardboard mock-up here. And I'm going to have to admit, yes. Kind of like deja vu. All over again. The radio is so new that um, you know they're not they're not really shipping in the U.S. or at least not U.S. versions of them yet. But they're going to be shipping. Um, well, I think they're coming in in the end of September, sometime around then. They'll be shipping, and I know we'll have one for October because we're going to give it away. And no, not the uh, cheap cardboard box model here. Let's have a contest. What do you say? Cool. 15 years. Woohoo! That's unbelievable. Seems like only yesterday it was like the fifth or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Well, I remember when we did the first show out there at the Wi Fi site out there in the woods, wondering if we'd do a second one. Yep. And the wind was blowing in the background. Like there was a hurricane like, in there. And there was. <laughs> Just before Katrina. <laughs> Just before Katrina, yeah. I had I had been in New Orleans like the day before. I was I was down there on a job and came back wow. and shot this thing with Jimmy and the you know the winds were starting to come in and wow it it was a month before we ever posted it because 
Well, things got kind of hairy there for a while, as I'm sure yeah. e- email will attest. Yeah, well, I'm, when you said that, it made me think of the ponytail. So, yeah, things were hairier back then. Well, they were. They were. We've got some good prizes to give away here. Of course, the center item is going to be the ICOM IC705 transceiver from ICOM. That's the new QRP transceiver. You've heard a lot about it in the last few months, and we've done videos on it a couple of times here. We used it in the park just recently. Uh, Ray came over, and we had a good time playing with it. And i got to say, man, it's like a mini 7300, except it's got VHF and UHF and D-Star in it, too. Really nice rig if you're wanting something portable. It's just got everything. I, I don't know what else to say about it. And they've got a nice little backpack that goes with it as well. Well, these are all the prizes we're going to give away. You can see them right there on the screen. But let's just zoom in on a little bit closer. There's the rig. QRP, man. Hard to believe. Yeah. It don't look like cardboard. No, that one's not. <laughs> If you can work the 7300, you work this one just fine. It yeah. basically works almost identical. Except this one's got VHF and UHF and GPS and D-Star built in it. Uh, right. So, is, it all, is it all mode up there too, George? Yes. Awesome. Uh, there's a nice multifunction backpack that we'll be giving away as part of this prize package as well. The radio just fits in the top of the backpack, and then you've got all that other space in there for antennas, or whatever else that you would like to carry with you, some spare batteries. It uses the same battery as as your ICOM Handy Talkie. That's an ID51 and 31. But you're going to need an antenna as well. And for that, what have we got, Tommy? We've got the MFJ2289 PKG, the bigger antenna from MFJ. Um, We're also... Got the uh, 1918 EX tripod and the 6204 carrying bag for it. Yeah, I and that's the same antenna you've seen me use many field days in the mm-hmm. past. And I, I really like it a lot. It folds down pretty compact, and uh, it's easy to carry. It's a good match for that uh, QRP rig. Yeah, the MFJ 2289 PKG. That's uh, the package that that includes all those items right there: the carrying case, the antenna, the tripod, everything you need. And of course, we're going to uh, throw in some RG8X coax from MFJ as well. You may want a power supply, although you could normally you'd run this off a of battery. And using the battery, you get five watts out. If you use a power supply, you get ten watts out. And you're probably going to want that battery to be charged as well. We've got the MFJ4115 portable 12-volt power supply. It's a real small power supply there. 15 amps, perfect for powering the IC705 with. You might want to go hands-free, and it might be in a noisy location, so you may prefer a headset. What do you think about a Heil BM-17? That's a nice little headset. It's a lightweight, and it felt very comfortable to try it on. Yeah. Um, so you can't go too wrong with that. It's a good, uh, good addition to the rig. And it'll fold right up and fit in that backpack as well. Absolutely. A great prize package here, I think. So how would you win this? The first qualification is you must be a licensed U.S. or Canadian amateur radio operator with a U.S. or Canadian shipping address. And uh, there's only one entry per contestant. 
Sending more than one entry will disqualify the applicant. Yeah, so pl- please don't send more than one. If you send, if you don't, you should get a confirmation email that you sent it. If you don't get it, let one of us know, and we'll look into it for you and see if it actually made it before you send a second. Okay. Uh, the other thing is the winner is responsible for any taxes incurred. Uh, yeah. Uh, fourth, which I don't think there are any, but yeah. the winner agrees to the use of his or her call sign and name and promotional and news items related to the contest. And, you know, we've given away things uh, a number of times here. And all that means is we're going to post that, hey, you're the lucky winner. So and this last one here, we should have talked about this one before we came up with this rule. Um, but the contestants must not be an employee or affiliate of Amateur Logic. ICOM, MFJ Enterprises, Heil Sound. So I got a little problem with that one. Yeah, I thought you might, um, but that's just that's just the way it rolls, man. Uh, we're not eligible, so we make it fair for everyone else. Uh, how could you enter? Well, well, it's pretty easy, really. Send an email to contest twenty twenty at amateurlogic.tv. With only your call sign in the subject line, include your name, call sign, class of license, and your address in the email message. Yeah, and uh, you'll be able to get all this information by visiting amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Submissions must be made between Friday, August the 14th and Monday, October the 12th of 2020. The contest winner is going to be selected by a random number from the entries received. The winner will be announced on the October 16th episode of AmateurLogic.tv. And if it's determined that the winning entry does not meet the qualification requirements, another winner will be chosen by the same method. You can get all the contest rules and information at AmateurLogic.tv slash contest. Only enter once. If you enter more than one time, you're going to be disqualified. So don't do that. It's been a fun show tonight. It's been a long show tonight, but... Not unheard of in these parts. That's true. Had a few bumps. Had a few bumps in the road for uh, Arnie's viewing pleasure, uh, but nothing too major. Yep. Yeah. It's dude. good to see people contributing, George. It's good to see people like Terry's segment. I thought that was awesome. That was. That was. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, I appreciate you sending that in, Terry. That was great. Yeah, very that has so. a lot of uh, different configurations that I wouldn't have even thought possible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very versatile. I may look at getting one of those too. Um, it was the nice thing about it. it came in a nice little case. I guess you saw it had little pouches for each one of them. Nice and neat. Everything mm-hmm. goes in its spot. Yep. Well. I guess before we get out of here, we'll go around one time and see what everyone's got lined up and what's going to be going on till the next time we're back here. Tommy? I don't have a whole lot planned. Uh, we got another little project I've been working on, and then I'm going to try to do uh, checking on Mike's uh, Lighthouses on the Air event. Uh, I think I'm going to see about getting some... Uh, Get my name on some blogs there. Yeah, that that's one, one thing like I should fun. mention. I, I guess um, 
there's a little bit of following where um, folks uh, try to work as many lighthouses as possible. And this is uh, kind of a common thing that I, I really wasn't aware of at the time. But um, lighthouse activations and working lighthouses are kind of like having your own little DX pileup. So if you're at a lighthouse um, and you announce that you're at a lighthouse, uh, you'll have all kinds of stations calling you. Well, Emil, what have you got coming up here? Well, what I got coming up, I took Tommy's advice on the N5BOC duplex board. I think that was your advice, right, Tommy? Yes. I got it, set it up, took me a half an hour. Awesome device. And, George, I think I'm going to try to see all the things that makes uh, duplex uh, special and all any other features, maybe some admin tools on that PyStar image that comes with it. So great device, and that's what I'm going to be up to. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a great device. Yeah, it, it certainly is. I am uh, very proud of that purchase. Uh, it's worked better than any hotspot I've ever used before. Not that I'm, I've used a whole lot of them, but, uh, boy, this one's really nice. Mike? What's going on up there? I know it's it's still a little warm for antenna work. <laughs> yeah, actually, the air conditioner just uh, turned off. It's still running this time of night. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about it, but I've acquired this uh, little device, and um, I'm going to mention it uh, just because it'll kind of commit myself to do it. Um, I'm going to show you how you can take one of these and use it as a full-featured uh, spectrum analyzer. Cool. Oh, it's an SDR. To that. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. That sounds like a fun project. Well, we appreciate everyone being with us uh, this time around. and We'll be back around the middle of next month with another show. Uh, you can join us uh Professor Thomas and Dean Morton at the end of the month for the next Ham College. And don't forget to go to amateurlogic.tv slash contest. Check out the details on this uh, great 15th anniversary sweepstakes we've got coming up. Find out how you can enter. Any final words, guys? Keep it cheap. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, you said keep it cheap. <laughs> the only the only other comment I have is if uh, if we've got any any folks that uh, have acquired one of these, if you're doing anything interesting with it, uh, drop us an email and maybe a picture or two so we yeah. can uh, show it off on on one of the segments. All right, cool. Yeah, actually, I got one more thing too. The uh, the ID fifty one was replaced, and uh, somebody in the chat room actually mentioned it. I can't believe it didn't mention it, but uh, Icon released the information on the ID52, so go check out a press release out about that. It looks pretty sweet. Yeah, Color screen this time. Well, 7-3 everybody. Join us again next month. Until then, uh, try to stay cool. <laughs> yeah, 7-3 everybody. 7-3. 7-3.
I don't think we'll we'll be uh, winifying that. Winifying. I just made a new word. <laughs> winify? <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. <laughs>